Verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, change your heart and your life because God's kingdom has come into your midst. I think some of us read the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of of heaven is at hand as meaning it's approaching someday soon so we should get ready for when it shows up in the future. But Jesus is not saying God's kingdom isn't here so get ready for when it gets here soon. He's not saying that. Jesus is saying, change your hearts and your lives because right here and right now, God's kingdom is available for you to enter in and live by a completely different purpose, meaning, power, identity than the one that's ruling the world right now. We're already... There's already a kingdom reigning on planet Earth. God's kingdom is not the only kingdom that's at hand. We read in 1 John that the evil one has sway over the whole world. That's an interesting, exaggerated expression, isn't it? And in the temptation of Jesus, the devil says... If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you worldly success and fame because I can. Why? Because people listen to me, says the devil. I speak in their ear, they do what I say. I know how to work with their triggers and issues and lies and wounds and beliefs that are not true so I can manipulate them. I can work the system how I want because people they're not, they're not, how do we say this the right way? Scripture says we're enslaved to the devil, but how? Voluntarily. So, so Jesus, we see here in Matthew 4, he starts to preach this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven. So if I say to most Christians nowadays, what's the gospel? I think it's going to be a very tiny little group not a majority that are going to say the kingdom of God is available. That's the gospel. We can change your hearts and lives, make space and enter in and live in a different kingdom from a different source with a different set of values as citizens of a different family and nation. I doubt that's the message most Christians will tell you is the gospel. The kingdom of God is the gospel. It's here now. It's available now. We can leave this kingdom, enter a different one. I think most Christians will tell you that the gospel is you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. God's extremely angry at you. He got so mad that he murdered his son instead of you so that now one day when you die, you can go to heaven instead of hell. I think that's the cartoon. I know I'm doing a straw man thing. Let me try that again. I think they'll say the the gospel is Jesus died so you can go to heaven when you die think that's what they think the gospel is. And Jesus says, I'm here. You can enter into the kingdom of heaven, the power of heaven, the realm of heaven, the the partnership that you were created for in the beginning, but we fell from, from through rebellion. 
we can enter back into the destiny for which we were made, and we can enter into it now. You can enter into a life that is divine, and if you do, you'll never die. Not, I died so that one day you go to heaven, or one day God's going to come back, whatever that means. How do you, I've heard people say that. One day God's going to come back. That's sloppy speaking. Jesus will return, yes, but God's here now, and his kingdom's here now. And you say, yeah, but his kingdom's not fully here now. No, his kingdom's not holding sway fully now, but his kingdom's fully available now. And Jesus lived in it fully. And he says, you can enter into it fully and live in it fully now. And you go, yeah, but, but, but how much can we really do God's will? Well, how about instead of a theory, we live our lives as an experiment to see? How about instead of arguing over what's not possible, we live to see what faith might be able to achieve? I have a friend. No, don't go there. I'm shutting that down. Every single human on planet Earth, yeah, people hear things and then you go, I feel bad that I said that. Now you wonder what the friend said <laughs> and who the friend is. But I'll, I'll give the summary. My argument is faith, faith, according to Jesus, can bring more of God's will to planet Earth than most of us think it can. That most of us make our theology from what we've seen in our experience instead of what we've seen in the book regarding Jesus. And so if we pray and they die, then we should expect most people we pray for to die. But he prayed and they lived, and he said we can do it too. And so oftentimes, and we're even told, preachers are told in, in, in seminary, don't, you, you, should, you should never preach theory, you should always preach your experience because then people will relate to your sermon better. And I go, well, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. You're saying be authentically engaged with what you're preaching. But I should preach the word, not my experience, until it becomes both mine and your experience. And Jesus shows up fully living in the good news and is the good news and is what the kingdom looks like. And his gospel, which I don't know how many of us preach, is... The kingdom is here now. It's available now. You can enter fully into the kingdom. Well, how? How do we enter in? Through me, he says. What, what does God require? Believe in me, he says. Trust in me. Turn your life over to me. Let me teach you. I'll show you how. You can be children of the Father just like I'm children of the Father because the Father himself loves you. You can walk as I walked. It's not impossible. I'm not giving you a list of commands that are so hard that you'll fail, and then you'll realize that you're just a dirty, rotten sinner, but at least you're saved by grace, and one day you'll go to heaven. We've been over this, right? If death frees me from sin rather than the power of Jesus, then I shouldn't be worshiping Jesus as the Savior. I should be worshiping the grave. 
Okay. And we shouldn't be worshiping the grave. <laughs> Duh. Okay. So every single person, I think, is deeply trying to answer some serious questions about the universe first and themselves second. Questions about the universe like, uh, what is this all for? Like, how did the universe get here and what's it for? Now, I don't know. We get up every day and we race after trinkets and try to pay the bills and questions of the meaning of the universe sometimes go right on the back burner. But we ought to think long and hard about the, the actual meaning of life itself. And then there's the second layer of that, and that is, what is the story of my life and the truth of who I am? During the song set, what did I say? I said, all of us have a story we're telling ourselves about our life. And the story we're telling ourselves is answering those questions. What is the story of my life? And then what? The truth of who I am. When I grew up, I just the word significance was so appealing to me. Significance. And I saw a book on mom's shelf that said the search for significance. And I said, ooh, there's oil on that. And I picked it up because I want to know, why am I here? Does my life matter? If I never was born, would the world be any different? Does my life matter? And I can tell you right now, the story about the universe that is commonly believed I think would answer that question. All there is is stuff, particles, molecules, matter. It came from cause and effect, mindless chance, random action, reaction, and nothing else. It happened to, luckily, create creatures that were organic, and intelligent, and eventually self-aware for no reason. And the sun will go out one day because it's just a reactor, a nuclear reactor, and it'll run out of fuel, and life on planet Earth will cease to be, and there will be no one to remember us, and everything anyone ever did, ever, will be forgotten the end. Nothing matters, no one cares, the end. And what's crazy to me is that people who have no religious faith continue to live as though life matters. Right and wrong is obvious. Purpose and, and leaving a legacy matters. Treating people with compassion matters. I'm like, guys, you're not looking at the logical implications of the first tier of questions, which is where does the universe come from and what does it mean? You're so living in the, what your gut is telling you, which is that life's full of meaning, that you're not asking the bigger question of a worldview that might validate whether that's true or a big hoax. Have I lost you already? In my gut, I know life matters. But the story of the universe, most people seem to think, oh, that's true. 
would mean that that feeling in my gut is lying to me. The universe is a big fraud. And now we go around trying to answer the question, does my life matter by filling it with accomplishments? What did I achieve? Relationships? Who loves me? Family? Trinkets and property? Buildings? If I leave enough stuff and little plaques that said, I built this, then they'll know and I'll have immortality. Do I matter in the face of death? If you look real hard, most people are furiously attempting to move in the direction of immortality through what they're clinging to for meaning and purpose. Does anything matter? Does my life matter? Who am I? Who am I? And what does my life mean? And along comes Jesus, and he says, God made everything, and God has a kingdom in which humans were made to be God's kids. Go back to Genesis 1. God says, let us make man, male and female, in our own image and likeness. That's childhood. That's children language. So he makes us, and he says, I now give you dominion over all the living creatures and the plants and animals and the ones that walk on the land, the ones that scurry on their bellies and all the creatures in the sea. You have authority over them. It's your job to reign over the earth as, as you walk under my rulership. You're to image my rulership over the earth. And they're supposed to cultivate this little garden called Eden, have lots of babies. So weird. The lady at the gas station that says to me, well, that forbidden fruit was sex. You know that. And we couldn't take 10 minutes without doing that. And God said, don't. I said, hold up, what? You think the forbidden fruit is sex? Then how can the very first command God gives be, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with what? The image of God, more people, and subdue it, meaning what? Cultivate the chaos of the planet until the whole planet looks like Eden. That's the kingdom of God in its original form. The kingdom of God in its original form is you have dignity. You're made in the image of God with God as your father. You have the presence and power of God because work was done without the sweat of the brow before the fall, right? One of the byproducts of falling away from God because we don't trust him because that's how that reworks. That's not, just, that's not just how it works with God. It's how it works with everybody. I don't trust you, so I pull away and I keep control from you and I think for myself independent of you because I know better than you, God. And that was the fall, so to speak. Each of us became a God unto ourselves. So now instead of God's kingdom, every one of us on planet Earth is living according to whose kingdom? The kingdom of self. Well, whose image is that? If God looks just like Jesus dying on a cross, whose image is me first, me in charge, worship me, love me, serve me, do my will? It's all about me. The devil. So all you got to do to be demonic is be selfish. You don't have to put a little star or pentagram on the ground and kill a goat and throw some herbs on it and have a little miniature statue of your enemies and poke it full of pins. You don't have to do any of that stuff. Pete knows what I'm talking about. 
I don't know, I heard you laugh. So. <laughs> to be demonic, all you got to do is cling to you and your way and your will and me, 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 me. Most relationships don't break down because people fall out of love. They break down because people fall out of repentance. We stop saying, your will be done, I'm here to love. My needs are met in you so I can be loved for them. And we start saying, it's your job to meet my needs. And if you don't, I'll hurt you and I will make you meet my needs. So two people who started the vows look at each other. You, oh no, you. It switches to me, 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 me. And then we realized later on, like 20 years later into it, that what this really meant when we were like, you, what we really meant was, you make me feel good. Me, me, me. It was you on the lips, but me in the heart. The kingdom of God is what we were originally made for. We were made not to be judged, not to work hard and measure up. We were made to just be belong. Just belong. We were loved. We didn't earn. We were naked and nobody, we didn't even notice. Now you look at us and not only are we clothed, but we're self-conscious about whether our clothes are attractive enough. And did we wear the right clothes? And do we fit in in this crowd? And does this dress make me look fat? And the answer to that is always no, unless you want to get punched. Well, just a little. And then <laughs> Annie's hilarious. Annie was like, Mom, your belly is so soft. I love it. You sleep on it as a pillow. <laughs> so I put my head on Carrie's nice, soft pillow belly. Did I say that out loud in public? Sorry. But we were made, we were made for the kingdom of God. We were made to, to be loved, to be loved, to be face-to-face -face with love and unafraid of, of rejection, unafraid of betrayal. Listen to me. Unafraid of rejection or betrayal. We were made to belong to love so utterly trustworthy that when they sinned and walked away from God, he showed up on schedule right at the meeting place and said, where are you? Where are you? Wait a minute. They hid because they assumed that if he saw the truth about them, he'd leave. He always knew the truth about them. And it didn't freak him out one bit. But they preemptively thought, he's going to betray me. I can't trust him. He's going to reject me. He's going to judge me. I got to get out of here. And we've been kind of behaving that way in all our relationships ever since. All our relationships ever since. But we were made to belong to unearned, unearnable, divine love. And in that place of fellowship with God, to do his will on planet earth in such a way that we express his image over the creation. Now we get authority, dominion. Over the earth, so that the earth looks like God intended. And by the way, we're not going to float away from earth, kick it into a trash can and go, glad death over with, trigger the bombs, and then cool guys don't look at explosions to fly away to heaven. That's not the story of the Bible. 
We're not going to heaven, friends. Heaven's coming to earth. We may go to heaven temporarily as a holdover, but that's called the intermediate state. It is. Before the resurrection, before the resurrection, souls are in paradise. But that ain't heaven. That's a temporary holding facility. And that holding facility is looking at earth going, is it now? Is it time? And they're watching the advance of the kingdom of God. And they're praying for it. And they're crying because right now there are tears in heaven. They're crying. They're praying. They're interceding. The martyrs are under the throne and they're saying, how long, Jesus? How long? How much longer do we have to wait till you vindicate and validate our sacrifice? How much longer? And he says, hold up, not yet. And on earth, history goes on as it always has. And many of us go, maybe when you're dead, you're dead. Maybe when you're dead, you're dead. I ain't never seen anyone raised from the dead. I ain't never seen heaven. All I've seen is this life. All I've ever seen is this world. And God says, hold up, son. The reason the delay in my kingdom manifesting fully with my son's arrival is going on is not because it ain't true, not because God ain't a promise-keeping God. It's because I'm patient and I want to give time for more people to take the the opportunity to enter into what Jesus is offering in in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, which he then walks straight over to two fishermen. Verse 18, he walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter and Andrew. They were casting their net into the sea. They were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I'll make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And then he does it again. Two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, maintaining their, mending their nets, and he called to them. And immediately they left their boat and followed him. What in the world is going on that this eye contact and one short invitation causes them to leave everything they've ever known? Smells like Abraham to me. Remember the little, the, la- the little lady? Remember that little lady? Remember the lady in John chapter 4? She leaves to go. She leaves her water. She goes, tells, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Amen. How does he know me? One five-minute talk with Jesus, and suddenly they know this search for significance this search for meaning, this search for love, this search for what is life actually for, wasn't I made for more than this, does my life matter, has found its puzzle piece has clicked into place and suddenly the picture starts to show clear. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in God like I believe in the sun, meaning my belief in God illuminates everything else. My whole life and everything in the world starts to look different and make sense through the lens of the kingdom of God. So what is the gospel? Is the gospel good news? There's a lot of folk that say, I've got the gospel 
And then they just load you down with good advice. It's all about the stuff you need to do. You need to change this. You need to do this. You need to do that more. You need to do this better. You need to try harder. Whew. The gospel's not self-help. It's not in the self-help section of your local Kindle library. There we go, because I was trying to figure out, does anyone shop at the bookstores anymore? Good job. Keep going. Good job. I like Kindle, though. It's just so convenient. I might buy a book on, like, used for four bucks, then later buy the Kindle because I'm like, it's with me. It's not real unless it's in the cloud. You know what I mean? Well, it's like my, my, my salvation's that way. It's backed up to the cloud. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly realms. I'm plugged into the net, and I have really good bandwidth. You know it's true. And renewing your mind is re- downloading and installing the software updates, which come out regularly. And they're highly personalized because they've been looking at your particular system and its bugginess. Yeah, okay. What are we even talking about? The kingdom of God? I did a bunch of Greek research on the egkidzo, which is the word to draw near. The kingdom has drawn near. The same word is used of what the priests do in the Holy of Holies. They draw near. They egkidzo to the presence of God. That doesn't mean... One day they will. It means they're right there, face to face, with the Holy of Holies. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. You've been living by a different kingdom. You've been living, by, you've been living one way. But I have good news. Not for you to do something. I have something for you to step into. For something for you to receive. Receive the kingdom. <sighs> Hebrews 12 says we are what? Building a kingdom that cannot be shaken? No. You and I don't build the kingdom. That's good news. You and I don't build the kingdom. We receive the kingdom. We participate in the kingdom. We enter fully into the fully furnished covenant Jesus made with the Father on our behalf. And we enjoy and walk in the richness of what Jesus is giving us freely. Every single day, we wake up, eyes open, looking at your ceiling or your pillow, I guess, if you're a face sleeper. Tim, you can't be a face sleeper because your nose would be in your pillow and you couldn't breathe. I get it. But the first thing out of our, our mouth, our Father in heaven, let your name be regarded as holy. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done today in my life. Give me the food I need and the forgiveness I need and I'll forgive others from the same mercy I receive and keep me on the path in the face of temptation today, God, and all the power is yours. Therefore, all the praise and glory will belong to you because your name's amazing and your kingdom's forever. Hallelujah. And then you put your feet on the ground and you walk because the daily reality of the disciple is the first thing you do is you preach the gospel to yourself and the gospel is the fully furnished kingdoms here and available to walk in today, to receive and partner with, just to step into today. You think like that yet? So what did the kingdom mean back in Eden? These are some, just four little questions for you to think about in terms of reflection. 
Question one about the kingdom. What did the kingdom of God look like all the way back in Eden? Have you really thought long and hard about what life felt like, was like for Adam and Eve before sin entered the picture? Because that's what Jesus is restoring us to right here and now. Face to face with God, no condemnation, not under the law, fully furnished, partnership with God, full access, no wall, no separation, no distance, no sacrifices required, no penance required, no mediators, no, no saints or Mary to pray to, just face to face with God because Jesus paid it all. Jesus broke down the veil of separation, full restoration to the purpose for which you were made, to the source and origin, to the identity of who he really made you to be. The curse is broken. What did it mean in Eden? Question two, what went wrong in the fall? Really think it through and come up with your answer. I've given you mine. I said it was distrust. But really think through what went wrong. Because whatever went wrong is still wrong, is still going wrong. The fall isn't something that happened. It's falling still. All around you, everywhere you look, the fall is still falling. Question three, what is the kingdom of God going to look like in the future after the resurrection on planet Earth? What will that look like? Do you know the scripture says you are going to judge the angels? You know Revelation 5 says you are going to reign with him on the earth? He says, We're, you have made us, you redeemed from every tri- tongue, tribe, and nation, a people for God, and you've made them a, a kingdom, what? And priests, and they, the saints, shall reign on the earth. Romans 8, that's, Rome, that's Revelation 5. Romans 8 says we are heirs of God, that means everything that belongs to the Father is our inheritance, and co-heirs with Christ. Man, if I wrote that, I would have said under Christ. And I wouldn't have said co-heirs. I'd have been like airlets or something. You know, wait staff. Popcorn vendors on the, in the stands. Not co-heirs. But I didn't write it, so now i got to upgrade my thinking. I'd have been okay saying, I'm just a slave of Jesus. And he says, "Uh uh-huh, but now that you've taken that attitude, I no longer call you servants because servants don't understand the Father's heart. And I've shared every last thing the Father shared with me, with you. So you're my friends. I haven't kept any secrets from you. There were no conversations where Jesus and the Father went and shut their bedroom door and locked it and had a private conversation about you, about what are we going to do with them? Everything the Father said to Jesus, he said to us. We're friends. We're not lower tier. So what will the kingdom of God look like at the resurrection? Final question, and probably a very important one. What does Jesus intend the kingdom of God to look like now in your life, daily, on the daily? What does it mean for you to leave the old kingdom of self behind and fully receive and walk in the rule of God, the face-to-face with God 
with the, because I mean, just give you a small example. We look at a situation, Jesus, we out of food, send these people back to the town. And he says, okay, time for a little lesson. What do you have? We look at what we don't have. He says, what do you have? Well, this kid has a meal. And he says, what if you took what you do have and offered it to God and said, it's going to be enough? Instead of look at what you don't have and then get scrambling to figure out what you're going to do to fix problems that God doesn't honor as even really being relevant. Did, I make, did that make any sense? Yes. So he says, what do you have? Offer me what you do have, and I'm going to multiply it and make it enough. More than enough. I like that he has them pick up the extra leftovers. I'm a big fan of not putting leftovers in the fridge where they mold and then get thrown out later, and it's gross. Just leave the leftovers out, and we'll eat them. But anyway, that was off mission. What does it mean for Jesus? What if I feel like I'm not enough? What if I feel like all I have intellectually or relationally or patience-wise or love-wise or ideas in this situation I'm facing with a friend? Well, all I have is just a couple of loaves and fishes, and we, it's clearly not going to be enough. What if I offer that to God and say, okay, God, I don't have to be the hero of this story, but I belong to the kingdom, and you're not limited by what, I, what I'm limited by. You have resources I don't have, but since you have them, I have them in you. Jesus is like, oh, I got to cross this, this lake, no problem. I see a lake, I go, I need a boat. He doesn't have a boat, doesn't seem to need a boat. I'm awed that Peter walked like four steps on the water. Jesus was doing a jog. I don't... It says he intended to pass them by. He only stopped because they were freaking out. And he needed to come by and hold their hand because they were like, oh, it's a ghost. You know, I just sort of picture Jesus doing a lot of face palming. Consistently. And I'm not making fun of the disciples. I am the disciples. I'm still in... I, I, Again, I said at the beginning, what, how much kingdom can we walk out as we walk by faith, radical trust? Way more than we're currently walking out. Way more. If Jesus is normal, and Jesus apparently is supposed to be considered normal and the rest of us are weird. Are you with me? So those are my four questions. What was the kingdom back in Eden? What went wrong in the fall? What will the kingdom be like at the resurrection on planet Earth? And what does this message of the kingdom mean for you today on the daily? And I kind of want to just encourage you to start praying the Our Father. You know, when you think of it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And actually pray it. Don't just say it. Because it's one of those prayers that we translated into the King James and now it's just like a meaningless poem that we all say in unison. And instead of thinking about what we're praying, we're thinking about whether our words are rhythmically in unison with the group. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, crap. Do I remember the next part? Or am I going to be embarrassed like the unspiritual guy who doesn't remember the next part? Oh, crap. Now actually pray it with no one else around. God, your will's perfectly done right now in heaven. It's not perfectly done on earth. Your kingdom's fully expressed in heaven. 
Your kingdom isn't being fully expressed on earth. So I am inviting you and pleading with you to help me partner with your, your power today. Help me partner with your voice today so that my life becomes a visible expression of the Father today. And I know that to do that, I'm going to have to forgive some people and I'm going to need help because I'm going to be tempted and probably attacked by the evil one if I'm, you know, if I'm normal. So we need help. You know, help me, Jesus. And I love the fact that he's like, thank you for this fried chicken. I love that. If you're hungry, that prayer means something. It's, it's, um, some of us have never once been hungry. And instead of learning that that's an incredible sign of the Lord's care and concern, it just gets filed under whatever. Do you know what I mean? I'm glad I don't have to like sit there at the table like George Mueller and pray for the food to come and then wait for the knock on the door. Hey, I was thinking of you guys and I made you this bread. Oh, I've asked the Lord, please don't let me have to live with that level of like countdown clock faith. Where You know what I'm talking about? Countdown clock? Oh. Danielle, what do you got? Um, there was a couple songs that were played this morning about um, how the Lord is the potter and he is, and we're the clay and he's molding us into who he already sees us as. And um, I just thought it was really cool because he already, even before, like calling us and into his kingdom and um, that he already calls us friends. He already we are his chosen, we're his friends, we're his beloved. And um, I just thought that was really cool. Um, but, and also a good thing, like Pastor Tim was talking about was that we are, the kingdom is already here. And you guys, everyone, we can walk into that kingdom. We could be in his kingdom. And that we are enough. And we don't have to deal with all the struggles that we deal with. We can go to Jesus and give them to him and allow him to transform us. So, um, I guess uh, for anybody who is dealing with any unforgiveness, any, anything that is in their heart that they just can't let go and they need prayer for, any, just anything, any healing, any... If anyone hasn't given their heart to the Lord and would like to do that, there's people up here that will do that. Pray with you. You can come to uh, whoever you feel led to come to. And I just wanted to tell you guys that Jesus loves all of you guys, and you guys are all enough. You guys are low enough. Do you have anything? I'm shaking. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Lord, for our church family. Thank you, Lord, that we can go to you in everything and that you are with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Lord, that you are greater. You are greater in us. You live in us, and you are greater than he that lives in the world. Lord, I ask that you will bless everyone as they go about their day. Travel mercies. Keep your hand over everyone. And I just plead the blood of Jesus over everybody. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.